So far, so good. What we've seen is not a frenzy to increase regulation of private schools, but to increase deregulation of public schools to allow them to more effectively compete in the new uh, competitive uh, environment for schools. So we've seen, for example, in Milwaukee, increased charter schools and greater autonomy within the public schools. And ultimately, uh, what we're seeing everywhere we see school choice is a much freer overall educational environment in which uh, more of the kids are attending private schools rather than government schools. Could you explain the uh, Zellman decision briefly? Well, the Zellman decision, which came out of the U.S. Supreme Court in 2002, was the most important education decision since Brown versus Board of Education. It lifted the federal constitutional cloud from school choice. The opponents of school choice have used every possible tool at their disposal, and the one that they put the most stock in was the notion that using uh, public tax money in religious schools would establish religion. And fortunately, in an unequivocal decision, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected that notion, holding that because the money was spent in those schools only at the direction of parents, and it was not a, a government subsidy, uh, that the program did not violate the First Amendment, and in so doing, it vindicated the very precious principle that uh, parents can, in fact, be given control over their children's education. You know, if you look around the, the uh, programs that are being implemented right now, such as in Colorado, they, they have put the restriction that they'd like every student to, who receives a voucher to be tested. Now, that's, a, I, I think, a minimum uh, requirement. Um, but I think some of the other states, Louisiana, they want to require that private schools test all of their students if any kids at the schools receive vouchers. Texas wants to require that um, that all the, the, the um, schools that receive vouchers, that they also have their tests approved by the state. So, you know, you're going to have people definitely trying to put this on. And I think people like Clint, they're going to have to be fighting from foxhole to foxhole just around the country trying to beat these regulations off. And Clint, um, the battle's not over, I take it, huh? The battle, unfortunately, is far from over. We are up against the most powerful special interest groups in the country, and they are fighting this uh, as if their entire existence depends on their success, and hopefully it does. Um, we won in the U.S. Supreme Court, but we're now fighting uh, in states around the country uh, because state constitutional provisions are being used to challenge these programs. We've been locked in, in litigation for several years in Florida, which has the nation's first statewide school voucher program. And uh, recently, Colorado uh, enacted a school choice program, and that has just been challenged as well. At the Institute for Justice, we are representing parents and children who are beneficiaries of the school choice program. And so far, we, we haven't lost one yet. Who's opposed to vouchers? The teachers' unions, they have an investment in keeping things pretty much the way they are right now. Clint? Yeah, definitely the teachers' unions are the, the principal opponents of school choice, um, even though a lot of teachers, public school teachers themselves, send their own kids to private schools. And a lot of teachers are not threatened by the idea. Bureaucrats are the ones who really have the most uh, at stake because a major difference between public schools and private schools is the amount of bureaucracy. Casey, um, in uh, Washington, D.C., the school board and the mayor are pro-voucher. Is that right? Yeah, but that's a very recent change. Uh, for years, 
within the district, all of the elected leaders have publicly been opposed to vouchers. So, and that's why you've seen the people who have changed their positions uh, be fiercely attacked also. And what about the parents? Do they Are, are they informed about this or how, where do they stand? Well, it's a city with a lot of Democrats in it. So, so right now, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of opposition as far as we can see. But when people are given the choice, you see a difference. For example, if you look at the Washington Scholarship Fund, they give out, I, I think they have about 1,400 kids right now receiving partial tuition scholarships. But they have about another 4,000 waiting to receive them. And, 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 you know, you don't have to have everybody in the city saying that I want a voucher. If you have just 20% of the kids in Washington, D.C. saying they want vouchers, that still means 18,000 people. Casey, um, what, what changed the, the opinion of the mayor and the school board president? Well, you know, there are two, diff two different views on this. You can be optimistic or pessimistic. It could be the optimistic view is that he just looked at the schools, and he's been doing that the last couple of years. He's made a couple of statements saying that, wait a second, we're pumping more money into these schools, but we're not getting results. It could be that he just said, you know what, we need to try something different. But what about the school board president, Peggy Cooper-Kafritz? Let me say, first of all, I am not about to try to read her mind. She denounced me several months ago. She didn't <laughs> like my paper on the D.C. schools at all because I just went and, and, and uncovered all the bad news about it. But if I had to guess, I would say that she has been convinced by parents at our forum she was there, and one of the parents stood up and challenged one of her statements that I had put on the screen. And they ended up having a very long conversation after that. And later on, I saw her quoted, uh, Peggy Cooper Capers quoted in the newspaper as saying that discussions with parents are one thing that have really changed her mind. Uh, it is amazing to see support from the mayor, from the head of the school board, from uh, Councilman Kevin Chavis. And I think that evidence is two things. One, that the schools are just so bad that people who previously opposed choice are looking for a solution. And two, that this is an idea whose time has come. Okay, Casey, going back to the uh, District of Columbia, what exactly is happening there? Can you just map it out for us? Right. What Representative Jeff Flake has submitted a bill that would provide vouchers for low-income residents in the district. And the voucher would be uh, means-tested from about 3700 to $5,000. In the first year, $7 million, uh, seven million would be budgeted for it, and I believe it's $45 million over five years. Now, in addition, President Bush has put aside some money in the budget for a choice incentives, and it was $75 million, and I've heard about $40, $45 million of that would be targeted for the district. And where do you see this going in um, a, two, a year, two years, five years? Where do you think we'll be? Ooh, well, you know what? Yogi Berra once said that I, you know, it's, it's dangerous to predict the future because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So I'm hesitant <laughs> to say what's going to happen in the district. But I will say this. If it doesn't happen this year with vouchers, that it probably won't happen for at least three years because President Bush is not going to touch this during an election year. So it probably 2005, he might think about it, but I'd say probably 2006. You wouldn't have any movement on it until then. Are vouchers an end in themselves, or is this just a step along the way? Do we want to go somewhere from here? Yeah, well, I think it's just a step along the way. Eventually, you do want to have more market incentives in the system, and that's because that which gets rewarded gets done. Incentives do what five-year plans cannot do, and it motivates people to do the right thing without having to put a gun to their backs. So I, I think that that's the eventual um, hope from all of this. I, I know that some libertarians are, are frustrated about 
this fact, but but the fact is that there is an overwhelming consensus in America that education should be publicly provided. What I see vouchers doing is shifting the role of government away from being a monopoly provider of education to being a funder of education. And the notion of public education is evolving from focusing on where a child is being educated to focusing on whether a child is being educated. So that if a child is learning at home in front of a computer or in a private school, that fulfills the goals of public education. If a child is sitting in a public school and not learning, that does not fulfill the goals. So ultimately, I'd like to see a system in which every child is uh, given an equal amount of money and that money follows the child to wherever that child is being educated. That would be, I think, uh, the ultimate in uh, educational freedom in this country. You know, something I think we need to remember is that this isn't like fighting for world peace or other pie-in-the-sky things. This is something <laughs> that is urgent, it's attainable, and it's something that can be done right now. And in D.C., you have a coalition of the willing that's come together now. So this can happen, and, and this can happen soon. And we hope it does, and we'll have to leave it at there and check back with you. Thanks for coming. We've been talking with Casey Lartigue, policy analyst with Cato Center for Educational Freedom, and Clint Bolick, the vice president and national director of the Institute for Justice and the author of Voucher Wars, Waging the Legal Battle Over School Choice, which you can, by the way, purchase. Uh